0: This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Greetings and welcome to Focus on God's Word. My name is Danny Milenkov and I am blessed to be with you in this final message in this series on Noah. Noah, another storm is coming. This is part six and we have been journeying through the story of Noah in the book of Genesis. And we have been thoroughly blessed to be partaking of this extremely important and, should I say, extremely relevant message for those who are preparing for the soon return of Jesus. So from wherever you are watching, I'm going to give you a big warm welcome. And I pray that you will be richly blessed as we open God's Word together and meditate on this beautiful message. Those who are here in the 3ABN studio here in Lake Macquarie, beautiful New South Wales here in Australia. I want to also give you a big warm welcome. And it's great to have you. It's great to have people who are smiling and happy to be here. And I praise the Lord for that. Home at last. Home at last. I love that sign that as you're exiting the international departures there at Sydney Airport greets you. G'day. Welcome home. I just love that sign. Um, as I make my way out of the Sydney International Terminal. Why is that? Because wherever I have been in the world and I've been blessed to be in many countries, I've had the privilege of of journeying through Africa and the Middle East and Europe and uh, North America, um, the Pacific Islands. I have been thoroughly blessed in my work to, to go many places. But there is no place like what? No place like home, no place like Australia. And, um, and every time, every time I touch down in Australia and every time I see that sign, G'day, welcome home, I say, thank you, Jesus, that I was born and I'm a citizen of Australia that uh, in the words of my father, he, he, he nicknamed the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, some of you are from New Zealand who are watching this and you think, what? What about New Zealand? We're God's own country. Surely that is the best nation on the planet. And I can speak from experience. I've lived in New Zealand for six years, six years. They were six of some of the most blessed years of my life. And I would live in New Zealand for the rest of my life. The people there are beautiful. They're just friendly. And if the truth be told, in my humble opinion, New Zealanders, Kiwis, as we like to call them, are friendlier than Australians. Can you believe that? I know it's impossible, impossible to fathom. But I found that they were friendlier than, 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 than our lot here. So why don't you live in New Zealand then, Danny? Thank you. Good question. Thank you for asking. It's because of their, it's because of their hopeless beaches. It's a, they're they're freezing cold weather and ultimately being so far away from my family here in Australia. So after six years, we made the journey back to Australia. But they were blessed years living in New Zealand during that time. Now, right now, right now, as we speak, there are people Australians who are desperately trying to get home. Isn't that right? They're desperately trying to get home. Um, we, we, we know what took place when, when, when COVID began to, to sweep through our nation, sweep through the world like a tsunami and the fear associated with that. The, the government put out an urgent call to all Australians. And there were about a million Australians living overseas when COVID first broke out. And they were invited by the Australian government to do what? to make their way back home, to come back home. And many, many took on board that, that opportunity to come back home. But there were some that decided to stay and maybe wait for a better day and so on and so forth. And 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 as and as the COVID situation is escalating, and especially in some parts of the world, we thank God for the way um, it's been um, held in check here in Australia. We praise the Lord for that, for our government leaders and so forth. But there are people trying to scramble back home now and they're finding it really difficult. They're finding it a challenge. Home at last. Why this series, Danny? Why this series on Noah? That's because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be before I return. We're looking at a story from four and a half thousand years ago that has so much significance To us today. Before we pray and open up God's Word together, let us remind one another of the three key points that come out of the Noah story. Firstly, we discover that the Noah story clearly identifies earth's final generation. Secondly, the story of Noah enables us to know and understand how we can be ready when the Son of Man returns. And thirdly, and may I suggest, most important of all, it provides instruction on how we can prepare others for Jesus' soon return. The story of Noah, is it important? What do you think? Yes. Absolutely. Those four chapters in Genesis, those first 11 chapters in Genesis, span 2,000 years of human history. And in four of those chapters, we have the story of Noah in great detail. Now, why does God go to such great lengths to give us such great detail in the story of Noah in those four chapters? It's because Jesus wants to prepare, especially those who are living at the climax of human history, when a stupendous crisis, when a storm such as that, such as what you and I cannot even begin to imagine will break forth on this world. God wants to give us assurance He he wants to give us His promises that He will be with us through the final storm that will usher in the coming of Jesus, just as He was with Noah and his family during the storm that He found Himself in. So before we open up God's Holy Word, once again, what do we need to do, my friends? We need to pray. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we're about to open up Your Holy Word one final time in this story of Noah. Father, we've only really scratched the surface. There is so much more to unpack from this incredible story that You have given to us in Your Holy Word, inspired by Your Holy Spirit. So, Father, as Your Holy Spirit inspired the authors of Scripture, in particular, Moses, who penned the words in the story of Noah, so too we ask and pray that your Holy Spirit will impress upon us beautiful truths, truths that are life-saving, eternally life-saving, not only for us, but for those who are near and dear to us, our neighbours, our friends, our entire community who we want to reach with this final message of your love to prepare them for your soon return. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, just a quick summary before we plunge into this story where we have been thus far. And if you haven't had an opportunity um, to watch any of the previous messages, the previous five messages, I'd encourage you to do that in order to be able to 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 understand more broadly. The story of Noah and the important implications and relevance for our day today. But what we've discovered in, in the very first verse there in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says there was, a, there was a great population explosion taking place on planet Earth during the days of Noah. People were living for almost a thousand years during that time. So you can imagine Ladies, how many children you could have in almost 1,000 years? Could you imagine? You probably don't want to imagine that, do you, Lindy? You're shaking your head. You don't want to imagine having that many children. (laughs) But not only were they having children, but the Bible says because of this mingling of truth and error, this mingling of of the righteous line of Seth with the unrighteous line of Cain, this commingling that came together, the Bible says... The earth was corrupt. It was filled with violence. There was wickedness. And that's all that was in the heart and the mind of man was just evil continually. And the Bible says that God was grieved in His heart. He was sorry that He had created human beings. I looked at that word grieved and that word sorry. And it literally means that God's heart was breaking God's heart was breaking at the at the sin, the perversion, the lawlessness, the immorality, the violence, the wickedness, everything that was taking place. Corruption. We discovered we discovered that that word corrupt that appears a number of times, three times in the account I- is describing injustice that is taking place. It describes uh, the inability to distinguish between the holy and the unholy. And so the Bible says God had no other choice but to eradicate this sin virus, this cancer that had almost overtaken the entire human population. And God left it to the very last moment when God only had literally one witness left, one witness left in all the earth. Yes, there were those that were faithful to God, as we discovered, like Methuselah, who lived for the longest period of time, for 969 years. And his name was a prophecy. When he dies, it shall come to pass. The flood happened the year that Methuselah died. He was a a righteous and a godly man. We have Lamech, the, the father of Noah, who died five years before the flood. He too was a righteous man. And there were others that were righteous and godly men and women who died before the flood. But when the flood came, there was only one man, who by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit instructed and encouraged and and invited his wife and his boys and and their wives, eight people in all to join him on the ark with all the animals. God left it to the very last moment. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 23, as we pick up the story there, only Noah, And those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Noah was a remnant. Noah was a remnant. And in our previous message, we discovered that God will have a remnant at the end of time as well, as he did with Noah and his family. Well, how did they remain alive? Was it through Noah's incredible engineering skills and this boat that he built? that enabled them to remain alive and to be saved through the storm? No. Notice the heart of the story. One last time. Let's be reminded the very center, the very bullseye of the story of Noah is Genesis 8, 1, where we read, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. God remembered Noah He remembered Noah. And let me suggest to you that God remembered Noah and his family. He delivered them safely through the storm to the other side. He delivered them safely through the storm to the other side. The Lord shut him in. The Bible says he shut him in. He enclosed him. He wrapped him in his arms of protection and in his arms of love. And Noah was safe and secure in the hands of God. Amen. And the storm came and the storm left and Noah made it through to the other side. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's all good and well, Danny. For Noah and his family, God protected them. God saved them through the storm. What about me? What about me living in the third millennium when this world is falling apart every which way you look? Will God save me? Will God save my family if they too put their faith and trust in God? Will God preserve us? Will God see us through to the other side? I was thinking of calling this message the other side, getting to the other side, home at last, Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37. Let's be reminded of his words once again. Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And in Luke chapter 17, Jesus also adds, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be when I return. Did God save Noah and his family? Yes, indeed. Did God save Lot and his family? Yes, indeed, God preserved Noah. God preserved Lot and God will preserve you. God will deliver you. He will keep you safe. So the question is, is there really another storm coming? Is there really another storm coming? Let's go to the words of Jesus for that answer. In Luke 21, Jesus unpacks signs concerning His return. And at the conclusion of those signs, Jesus describes our world just before he returns. During the days of Noah, this world was destroyed by a worldwide flood. After Jesus has returned, the Bible says, and taken those who remained alive, and he saves those like Noah and his family, like Lot and his family. Just as in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, when God rained fire and brimstone down from heaven, so to this world at the end of time, before God makes a new heaven and a new earth, this world will be overwhelmed and this world will be flooded with a flood of wo- uh, with a flood of fire, not of water, but a flood of fire. Now, before that, during earth's final crisis, notice what we read in Luke 21. Luke 21 verses 25 and 26. Luke chapter 21 verses 25 and 26. And this is what it says words of Jesus. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth the distress of nation nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaking. Wow, what a description of what life will be like immediately prior to the coming of Jesus. Do we find ourselves living in a time where we are having more and more distress of nations. Is there more and more distress of nations? Tick. What about perplexity? Are world leaders today perplexed and, 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 and not sure and completely at a loss to know how to deal with the titanic problems that this world faces? Yes or no? Absolutely, like at no other time in human history, the nations of the earth, the leaders of the earth are perplexed, perplexed. Look that word up in the dictionary and you'll see that it's describing life in the 21st century, life in the third millennium. Tick to perplexity. And then finally, Jesus says men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things that are coming up on the earth. Are we living in an age of fear? Are people afraid today? Do you know someone who is afraid? Have you possibly experienced emotions of fear? We all do. We all do. Tick. Jesus is describing life in our day. Now, what's so significant about what Jesus has said? We go to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus there also gives Signs concerning His coming. Luke 21 is the parallel passage to Matthew 24. We've also got the signs of Jesus coming in Mark chapter 13. All three Gospels share on the signs of Jesus coming. Notice what Jesus had to say in Matthew 24, verse 8. As He speaks of the signs of His coming, He says, all these are the beginning of what? Sorrows. Now that word there, sorrows, that Jesus uses is the word labor pains or contractions. Now, I don't know too much about labour pains from a personal point of view. (laughs) I've been there to see my wife deliver our two precious children by God's grace. And I was there in person to watch what took place. And I discovered something that I had known only through theory, but now I discovered in person That those labor pains, as the baby's birth draws near, they intensify in frequency and severity. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? So what Jesus is saying in the signs of the times, yes, these things have always been with us. There has always been perplexity. There has always been distress. There has always been fear. Yes, yes, yes. But before I return, just like those labor pains, they're going to increase with intensity, frequency and intensity. So what are we to do? What are we to do as we see this world falling apart more and more, as we see more and more fear and perplexity? and anxiety and distress. What are we to do? Let's keep reading. Jesus here tells us what we are to do during this time when all the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 27. Then notice during this time in Earth's history, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, do what? Look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Jesus is saying, when you see this world falling apart at the seams, don't look at yourself. Don't look around you. Don't look at other people, but instead do a look up because your redemption is drawing near. I am at the door. I'm about to come. And my friends, I've said this before and I'll say it again. And I just want to share that with you out there, wherever you're watching from. As I watch what's going on in our world right now and as I compare what's going on in the world right now with what Jesus said, I am coming under increasing conviction day by day, each passing day that we are indeed on the verge of the stupendous crisis that we have just read about, that Jesus warned us about will come on the entire planet. And there is only safety to be found in Jesus Christ. Only safety to be found in Jesus Christ. Just like in Noah's day, there was only safety to be found in the ark. So too, at the end of time, there will only be safety to be found in Jesus Christ. A beautiful insight on what God's people can expect during the time of trouble This time from that apocalyptic classic written by Ellen White, The Great Controversy. At the end of her book, she she shares this statement that I came across and I thought I have to share this with you. Notice what she writes. The time of trouble is a fearful ordeal for God's people, but it is the time for every true believer to look up Using the words of Jesus that we've just read. And by faith, he may see the bow of promise encircling him. Wow. So when we see all these things taking place, we had to do what? We had to do look up. And just as we discovered in our previous message, There is a rainbow that encircles God's throne. There is a rainbow that encircles Jesus Christ who sits on the throne. So, too, we have read from these words of inspiration that God will encircle all of His believing children with what? A rainbow, a rainbow. And as someone pointed out to me after the previous message, how many colors are there in the rainbow? Seven. There are seven colors in God's rainbow. The rainbow encircles, embraces, and it's a symbol of protection and loving embrace, perfect loving embrace. The number seven is the number of perfection. God's perfect love through the symbol of the rainbow will wrap around each and every believing child of His. Isn't that beautiful? So we have nothing to be afraid of. So let me let me make this statement. As the trouble increases in this world, our trust in God also increases. Amen. God's promises to his end time Noah generation during the time of trouble are precious and they are beautifully articulated in all of Scripture and especially in the book of Daniel. I love Daniel, Chapter 12 and verse one. Notice here what Daniel writes at that time he's speaking of the time of trouble at the very end of time on the eve of Jesus coming when the seven last plagues are about to be poured out or during the seven last plagues at that time, writes Daniel, Michael, That's another name for Jesus Christ. Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be what? Shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And in a previous message entitled, Will God Remember You? If you haven't seen that message, I think it was the second part in this six part Noah series. I'd encourage you to watch that. We discovered that God will deliver. God remembers His people and God will see them through to the other side. And here we are told that Michael will stand up. Jesus Christ Himself will stand up and He will deliver His faithful end time people, just like He delivered Noah and his family, just like God delivered Lot so too He will deliver you and He will deliver me if we put our faith and trust in Him also. So let's ask another question. How close are we to the final end time storm and deliverance? How close are we to what we just read from Jesus? This time of perplexity, this time of fear, such as the world has never before experienced or witnessed. How close are we? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, concerning the day of His coming. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So can we know when that day will come exactly? No, we can't. No, we can't. But Jesus balances up this statement of not knowing the exact day or hour with another statement In the same chapter, Matthew 24, the signs of Jesus coming chapter with these words, verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. He goes on. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the what? Even at the doors, even at the doors. So is the coming of Jesus near even at the doors? As I pointed out earlier, I really do believe in all my heart that the things that are taking place around us that we can see and hear and are experiencing is telling us that the coming of Jesus is indeed near even at the doors, even at the doors. In Matthew 25 and verse 6, Jesus shared A powerful, well, in Matthew 25, Jesus shared a powerful parable, the parable of the ten virgins, a parable designed to prepare those who are waiting for the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, for his coming. This parable of preparation has this key scripture found in the midst of it that Jesus gives concerning his coming. It says in Matthew 25, verse (coughs) 6. Jesus speaking, He says, and at midnight, at what time? At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. At what time in earth's history is the is the cry heard? The bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him at midnight. Why midnight? Well, midnight is a is a symbol or a metaphor that Scripture uses for the darkest time of the night or the darkest time in human history. And we are now entering that time. I find it fascinating that this midnight metaphor has been taken from the scriptures and today is being used by a group of scientists who have developed what has become known as the doomsday clock. The doomsday clock, Uh, first. Um, initiated in 1947, shortly after World War II, uh, a group of uh, eminent scientists, well-renowned and well-respected in their field came together and they put together this metaphor called the doomsday clock. This doomsday clock is a metaphor to, to help humanity understand how close we may be because of our actions to midnight, which is which is the end of the world, according to these scientists. Now, in case you're wondering who these scientists are, you can look them up on, on Google. You can just Google Doomsday Clock and you'll discover that there's, there's a dozen or so Nobel laureates amongst these scientists. So these are kind of the who's who of the scientific world. And based on what's happening in the world they move the they move the minute hand either closer to midnight and doomsday or further away this was their statement in 2021 their doomsday clock statement this is the headline this is your covid wake up call it is 100 seconds to midnight wow We're no longer minutes to midnight. We are now seconds to midnight. Notice this doomsday clock as it has been moved up and down during the years from its inception in 1947. You can see where the doomsday clock first began in 1947, about seven minutes to midnight. And it's been going down and up and down during that period of time until we get to 1991. Until we get to 1991, and from 1991, it's heading in only one direction. And what direction is that? That's down, that's south. And that is where our world has been heading in the past three decades or so. We have been heading south. The doomsday clock back in 2018 was brought down to two minutes to midnight. It was two minutes to midnight at a previous time, that was the lowest. Then it was two minutes to midnight again the following year. Every January, they update the doomsday clock. And then in 2021 and 2020, they said it's no longer two minutes to midnight. Now it's 100 seconds to midnight. We are getting very, very close to that midnight hour. And Jesus said, when you see all these things, look up because your redemption is drawing near. After having observed what is taking place this is the conclusion i have come to the covid-19 pandemic has clearly revealed the fault lines that have existed beneath the surface surface of our world our world has been steadily deteriorating the pandemic has been instrumental in simply bringing to light how fractured and broken our planet is that's been my observation I want to take a look at some of these labor pains that Jesus spoke of, these end time labor pains. We don't have time to unpack each and every one. I'm just going to list them for you. These end time labor pains that have been intensifying in frequency and intensity, natural disasters, pandemics. Do we need to say anything about pandemics? Wars and rumors of wars, economic uncertainty, social and moral disintegration, which we've looked at. Prophetic religious developments Wow, we could spend a whole hour or two on just that. And those who are deceived into a false sense of security. This is what we have taking place right now. And it is growing exponentially. The train is speeding up more and more and more. We see all these things taking place. And we are like someone said to me after one of the presentations, we are like that frog. Well, like that frog, you put the frog in, in, in cold water and you turn up the heat on that frog little by little and what's going to happen to that frog? It's going to boil to death. Whereas if you take that frog from cold water and you put it immediately into boiling hot water, what's the frog going to do? It's going to jump out. But when you turn up the heat little by little by little by little, the frog gets comfortable and nice and warm and nice and warmer. And until it, it's a bit like it's a bit like those who, who suffer when they're in the cold. You know what's they call hypothermia, hypothermia. I've never suffered from hypothermia. But they tell me that those who are experiencing hypothermia, which, as we know, is deadly. They experience a beautiful warmth. And unless they snap out of that warmth that they eventually go to sleep in and lose consciousness and then ultimately die from, they will die. Feeling warm and fuzzy and cuddly is not necessarily always a good sign. And sadly, Jesus described in Luke 21 a world that was focused on the here and now here for a good time and not a long time. Notice what we read in Luke 21, verses 34 to 36. Jesus says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come on you up unexpectedly. He goes on, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. What did Jesus say? He said, watch, watch, because just before I come, there will be eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage and buying and selling and planting and building, according to the words of Jesus, concerning the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And it will come upon them, what? Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. We need to be careful that we are not deceived. How did sin enter this world? Through deception. The one whose name is the devil, who is a deceiver, a destroyer. The world had sin come into it through deception. And the final attack will be on deception. And the only way to remain undeceived, my dear friends, is to spend time in this book. Spend time in this book called the Bible. As someone once pointed out, Bible, that stands for basic instructions before leaving Earth. These are the basic instructions that God has given us. I want to encourage you more time in the Holy Word, less time with Hollywood. And someone should have said, "Amen." Amen. Yeah. Spend more time with your face in God's book and maybe a little less time on Facebook. Have you heard of Facebook? Anyone here? Anyone out there heard of Facebook? The enemy doesn't care how he keeps us away from God's word, how he keeps us away from Christ, how he keeps us from from preparing for what is coming upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. The enemy doesn't care how he does that as long as he does. Let us not be deceived. We don't need to be deceived. Jesus spent so much time in the signs of the times focusing on deception. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived over and over again, Jesus says. Don't be deceived. The Apostle Paul speaks of watching and waiting for the coming of Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verses one to six, he writes these words to the believers in Thessalonica, which are words that we need to heed today. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a what? A thief in the night. Unexpectedly, he goes on. For when they say what? Peace and safety. Wow. Are our government world leaders today calling for peace and safety? Are they saying we need to act in order that there may be peace and safety? Is everyone seeking a world that will go back to some kind of normal? Are we talking about a new normal? Yes, we are. But we're talking about normal still. We want things to go back to normal. We want peace and safety. That's the time we're living in right now, a time when they're crying out peace and safety. He goes on. Then sudden what? Destruction comes upon them as what? Labor pains. There's that metaphor, that analogy that Jesus used upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. And he goes on. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day, speaking of the second coming, should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And he finishes off by saying, therefore, let us not do what? Sleep as others do, but let us what? Watch, watch, watch. Jesus over and over again says, watch, watch, watch. The Apostle Paul says, watch. And the final time the word watch appears in the New Testament. It appears almost two dozen times that word is in the book of Revelation. The last time the word watch appears and notice who is speaking that word. It is Jesus Himself. Revelation 16, verse 15. Jesus speaking and He says, Behold, I am coming as a what? As a thief. There's that metaphor again. Blessed is he who does what? Watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. What does Jesus say? He says, watch. And it's fascinating that Jesus here uses the language of Revelation chapter 3, the language that Jesus shares with His church of Laodicea, the final church before Jesus comes that is lukewarm, that is neither hot nor cold, but is lukewarm. And Jesus says, I'm giving you my robes of righteousness that may cover your nakedness and your filthy shame. And here Jesus says, put on my robe so that you may not walk naked. This is especially a message to Laodicea, a final message from Jesus to watch. And if you are part of Laodicea, if you are living in God's final end time church, my dear friend, this is a message for you. This is a message for me. This is a message for the whole world. But we need to take heed to the words of Jesus. Watch, watch, watch. Jesus also speaks of labour pains. We read them in in Paul's Paul's writings, labour pains, labour pains. They come upon you, what? Unexpectedly. A woman knows that she's pregnant. She knows that she's going to give birth someday. But does she know exactly the moment when the waters will break and she will enter labour? No, she doesn't. She's got no idea when that's going to happen. That happens suddenly, Unexpectedly. But as every mother or expectant mother knows, the pain is followed by the what? The joy. The storm is followed by the deliverance. That's why we call it delivering a baby. Well, that's why I call it that. Have a look at what Jesus said. Have a look at what Jesus said in John chapter 16. Beautiful promise. Beautiful promise. He shares this with his disciples, John 16, verse 20 to 22. He's speaking to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to what? Into joy. He goes on. A woman. When she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And he finishes off with, Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will do what? I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Were these words fulfilled? Yes, yes. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes. Were the disciples filled with sorrow and grief when they saw their Lord and Saviour, the one who they put their faith and trust in when they saw Him crucified? Yes. But did their sorrow turn to joy? Yes. Will those who experience a time of trouble such as the world has never known before who are God's end time people? who are harassed and mocked and scoffed and and persecuted, according to the book of Revelation, by the world for their faithfulness to Jesus Christ and His commandments. Will they, those oppressed, persecuted children of God who have experienced great sorrow, such as we cannot even begin to imagine now, will they who experience that at the end of time also experience the great joy when Jesus comes? Yes, yes, yes. We don't need to be afraid. We do not need to be afraid of the coming storm. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus can rest assured in His loving, nail scarred hands that have promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of time. These words that Jesus shared with his disciples on the eve of his own storm beyond what we can comprehend are for us today. Further on in John 16, Jesus shared these words with his disciples concerning his own experience and what awaited him. John 16, 32 and 33. Jesus said, indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone. Why? Because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus here Shares with us two realities. Number one, in the world, you will have what? Tribulations. Is that news to anyone here? No. But he says, reality number two, look up because in me, in me, you will have peace. Peace in the storms of life. Peace in the coming storm. If you have the Prince of Peace in your boat, you can smile at the storm. You can smile at the storm no matter what comes your way, no matter what comes my way with Jesus in my vessel. I can smile at the storm because we are sailing home. Amen. We are almost home. And what will home look like? Well, Jesus told us He's going to prepare a home for us. Let's take a look at John chapter 14, where Jesus gives this beautiful promise of the other side. John 14 verses one to three. These beloved words from Jesus again on the eve of his crucifixion. He shares with his disciples and all of us. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, in my father's house. How many mansions? Many. Many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Good news. Jesus is coming back soon. Not I might come, not I may come, but I will come again to take you that you may be with me so that where I am, you may also be. Jesus talked and described his second coming in Matthew 24, verses 31 and verses 30 and 31, he shared that when he comes, there will only be two groups, only two groups, just like in Noah's day, there were two groups. When Jesus comes, there will only be two groups. And here are the words of Jesus. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will do what? They will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. When Jesus comes, there will only be two groups. One group will mourn. The other group are described as the elect. This is what the, this is what the group who will mourn, those who are lost, will say. We have the words of what they will say from the book of Revelation when they see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. John the Revelator describes their response when they see Jesus come. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. He goes on in verse 15 of Revelation, chapter six. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks. Notice what they cry out. Fall on us. And hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Hide us. Hide us. Who is able to stand, they ask. And in the following verses in chapter 7, as we discovered in our previous message, those who are able to stand are those who are sealed by God. Those who have been shut in by God and His mercy and His love, just like Noah was shut in by God when the storm came, they will be able to stand because they have stood for Christ. They have stood by Christ and they have stood for God and His principles of love and His word. But there will be another group, another group. When they see Jesus come, they will not cry for the rocks to fall on them, but they will cry out something altogether Opposite. Notice what Isaiah describes in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. And it will be said in that day, speaking of the coming of Jesus, Behold, this is what the elect will cry out. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He will do what? He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. He will be, we will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Two groups at the end of time. One group will mourn. The other group will do what? They'll rejoice. They'll rejoice. Jesus will have something to say to both groups. Notice to those that mourn, those who are lost, the sad and tragic words that Jesus will share with them on that day. Matthew records the words of Jesus in verse 7, in chapter 7 and verse 23. Jesus will say these most sad words that have ever been uttered by Jesus Christ. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. I never knew you. But to the saved, to the elect, this is what Jesus will say. Once again, Matthew records the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 34, where Jesus will say to them, those that have looked up and said, behold, this is our God. He has come to save us. Jesus will say to them, the elect, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He is coming back and he's coming back soon. And he wants you and me. He wants all of us. He wants you out there who are watching wherever you may be watching from to be ready, to be prepared, to be part of his New world that He will create. And we have a description of the new world that Jesus will create when sin has been vanquished forevermore. John, the revelator, describes what this new world will look like and what will be the experience of those that inhabit the new world. In Revelation 21. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And he concludes with these words. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write for these words are true and faithful. My dear friend, you and I can put our faith and trust in the words that we have just read. Why? Why? That's because these words have been uttered by the One who is faithful and true, and that is God Himself. There is a new day coming where there will be no more sin, sorrow and suffering, no more disease, death and destruction, no more, no more on this new earth that God has created. And on this new earth, in Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4, notice the promise that God gives to us of what we will experience. This is beyond belief, beyond even imagination. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. Wow. They shall see His face and their names. And his name, I should say, shall be on their foreheads. His character will be written on their foreheads. The final invitation that Scripture gives in Revelation twenty-two seventeen 17 is surely for all of us, surely for us all. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come and let him who hears say, Come and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come, come, come come. God wants you to come. God wants you to be part of his kingdom of everlasting love where there will be no more curse, no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. It matters not where you have been, what you have done. It matters that you come right now, right now, right now. I want to take you finally to an experience that I had with this lady by the name of Jane. There's Jane in the center of that photo. she I've got the privilege of baptizing Jane. And by her side is her friend, uh, a great friend of hers by the name of Liz, who studied the Bible with her. Now, Jane was brought up with the teachings of God's word. She was brought up with God's love. She was adopted into a family, into a Christian family, into a Seventh-day Adventist Christian home, a loving home where she was taught all about Jesus and His love. However, due to circumstances uh, that ensued in her life um, during her teenage years and and further on, and as well as just, just, you know, getting distracted. You know what it's like. You get easily distracted and discouraged They're the two two primary attacks that the enemy uses. They're, They're in his toolbox. Distraction and discouragement. He loves to use both. One at a time or preferably both at the same time. And she walked away from God. She walked away from God. But then shortly before her 50th birthday, she was diagnosed with cancer. And during that dark time in her life, when she was far away from God, she turned to Jesus Christ. She turned to the invitation of come, come, come. Her friend Liz studied the Bible with her and introduced her to Jesus. And I had the privilege on February 20, 2016, on a Sabbath afternoon of baptizing Jane. She gave her heart to the Lord. Look at the smile on her face. Look at the joy on her face. She no longer feared death. She no longer feared. Why? Because now she had given her heart and life to Jesus Christ. She had given her life to the one who says, fear not, do not be afraid. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. Before Jane passed away, she gave me something very special that I have kept and will keep until Jesus comes. She made this beautiful crochet cross for me. Pastor Danny, she put on there. I said, Jane, why are you giving me this, Jane? She says, I want you to always remember that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I received his sacrifice on my behalf And I want you never to forget that. Not only what I experienced, but what you need to cling to each and every day. My dear friends, as Jesus coming draws near, we need to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ more and more. That is our only hope. At her baptism on that Saturday afternoon, she shared her testimony. And these were her words that she shared. Her title, Hope, Peace and Prayer, A Story of Redemption. She writes, if you haven't invited Jesus into your own life as yet, I can highly recommend the experience. And that's her smiley. It is my belief that our time here on earth is very short indeed, and that Jesus will soon return, just as he has promised, to claim his believers and destroy Satan and sin forevermore. How I long to see that day, she writes. I pray that we will all be ready to go home with him. Oh, what beautiful words. What beautiful words. Jesus is coming back soon. And in the words of Jane, he wants all of us to be with him forevermore. He's coming back. He's coming back. He is soon to return. I can just hear the trumpet being prepared to sound. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Do you want to be part of his kingdom? Do you want to be ready when Jesus comes? If you do, why don't you just raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Let's pray together. The Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your promise that you're coming back soon. And we can't wait for that day when we will be home at last. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. And everybody say, Amen. been listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Malenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3ABN